Yes, indeed. Uh, we get a lot of reports of people having the flu, so I'm glad. Well, I hope that those of you who are here don't have the flu. <laughs> but I'm glad you could be here today, and we pray for those who are uh, maybe struggling a little bit with all that. And uh, you can be opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. I'm going to cover basically two full chapters, uh, though I'm starting in the middle of 21 and in the middle of 23. Uh, those chapters, uh, as I said, we've been two years now, uh, roughly, in the book of Acts. And uh, um, th- these two chapters, I could do a year on those. I mean, it's just so full of stuff. So I'm very frustrated being a person, um, not good with details, but when it comes to the scripture and studying it and doing different things, I, I like every detail. I hate to skip over anything. But uh, what we see here, we come to this point in time where Paul, uh, and last week we saw this a little bit, that um, Paul, as he is on his way to Jerusalem, keeps getting told by well-meaning believers, and, and they are well-meaning, um, as the Holy Spirit reveals to everybody, Paul's going to get in trouble when he gets there. He's going to be arrested. He's going to, it's going to be big time. Paul had been through a lot already, but uh, now it's going to be really serious. Rome's going to get their hands on him. And everybody took that and started saying, oh, don't go, don't go, don't go. But God had told Paul, hey, this is the deal. He told him that the day he became a a believer in Christ, uh, he told Paul, hey, you're going to (laughs) suffer. He just let him know what a call, right? And Paul says, yeah, I'll do it. And he, and, and so Paul tells everybody, hey, this is what God's telling me. I've got to do that. And, and this is going to play into this. And so what we're seeing is the beginning of this uh, in these two chapters where Paul is going from kind of free, preaching, you know, escaping little skirmishes to where now Rome is going to get their hands on him and eventually he's going to wind up in Rome. Next week we'll look at uh, some of those Roman trials and then the week after that a little bit on the, the trip to Rome. Um, let, let me just make a quick announcement uh, while I'm saying things. Um, the, we plan to go for the men. This is just for the, the men in the room. We plan to go to uh, a nobleman conference the last Saturday in February, it's the leap year day, uh, February 29th. And, uh, and, and I know you got an extra day this year, so I want you to use it for that, if you will. And there's a sign up out there. And here, here's why we are, we are trying to reorganize, revitalize uh, what we do with our men, through our men. We're doing a Bible study on Sunday nights. We've got 30 people coming to that, and it's a great deal. We, we're having a super great time there. And what we're doing is based out of this, uh, this organization, uh, which is called Noble Men. And so I just want to encourage you men to do that. Wives, encourage your men to go. It's a one-day thing in Roanoke. We'll leave in the morning. We'll be back that night. It's not overnight. It does cost something. But please sign up in the lobby today. Uh, we need to know that early so we don't have to pay as much for us to get to go. So I just wanted to say that because we want to act like men. We're, we're, we're looking here today. Thank you for the slide, uh, my, my sister. Um, Today we're looking at Paul's arrest in Acts 21. And as I said, since I'm doing so many scriptures, I'm not going to read all of them. But I see the no option option. The, the subject is Paul's arrest. But I call it the no option option. Now, you may not know what that means. And, and I'll tell you what I mean by it. I've used this term before. I might have explained what, what it really means. But I read about it from a, from a military guy who was the leader. And he, he actually created uh, some some uh, units in our military 
And, and he fought in Vietnam and then beyond that and was involved in the, and all the way up to, uh, in the, through the 80s, the war on terror and stuff, uh, even in Iran, uh, back with the hostages. And, and, he, and he talked about the no option option. And what he meant by that was, in any situation, when Mr. Murphy shows up, after you've made all your plans and the bullets start flying and everything falls apart and you don't see a way out... It's time to exercise the no option option. And the no option option is put yourself in a position that if you don't succeed, you will die. Because then you'll fight the hardest you ever fought in your life. And Paul is called by God to go into a no option option. If he doesn't get to, you know, it's... This could cost me my life. But as we read in Paul's epistles and other places, in his mind, he's had this option before. God said, hey, I can let you come on home. He goes, no, I'll stay around for everybody else if if that's okay. And then in 2 Timothy, we read as he knows he's about to lose his head for the gospel. He says, listen, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. He was faithful to the fight. He was faithful to the faith and he was faithful to the end. And so Paul is ready, and, and, and I call this a no-option option because Paul knows he's walking into a, 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 a trap, basically. He is going to be arrested, and he doesn't know if he'll get executed quickly or not. And in fact, all through these two chapters, Paul does some things that makes me scratch my head. But he also does something that encourages me. And I won't talk about the things that make me scratch my head so much, um, even though I'd like to do that because it itches sometimes. But anyway... What he does consistently is talk about Jesus. He just never gets off that subject. I mean, like, he's like a broken record. It doesn't matter what's going on around him, where he is. That is his plan of attack. Let's talk about Jesus. I I don't know. I I, I was thinking about that. and I I wondered, what are you ready to talk about? As as you can tell, I do like to talk. (laughs) Um, If if you're standing there, I talk when nobody's around. That's kind of scary if you see that. Um, but I think better when I'm talking. That's just, that's just, I can't process in my head because too many things, are, I got too many squirrels running around in there. And so if I say it out loud, that helps me focus. And so sometimes I'm in a conversation with people and I'm thinking it through and they think I mean what I'm saying. I'm actually just trying to figure it out. So I have to say, don't, don't take this seriously. I'm just trying to, so I'll say the, the, the worst scenario just so I say it and I can move on from that. But Paul, Paul he just keeps talking about Jesus. He never quits. But I wondered, what, what am I ready to talk about? I mean, I, I'm ready to talk about my favorite sports team, right? I, I love talking about hobbies. I love talking about this job. I, I've noticed my wife uh, has been in education all her life. And, and, and teachers and pastors are a lot alike. If you put a bunch of people in a room, teachers will find each other and they'll talk about teaching. You put more than one pastor in a room and they'll get together and they'll start talking about the church and theology and all kind of stuff. And so like if I'm somewhere with her, I got to stand there while they talk about education because I, I don't have any idea. And if she's with me, I'm over here talking about the preacher. The wiser are they're going, yeah, they're talking about that again, you know. That, we're always ready to talk about something, but how ready are we to talk about Jesus? We're ready to talk about our hobbies. We're ready to talk about the newest possession we bought and how great it is. We're ready to talk about something we found that we think helped our health or, or you know, helps us out. You know, uh, ladies selling essential oil. Right? 
I mean, you know, getting together, talking about, oh, did you see this new gun they came out with or this new, uh, this new car, this new thing? We, we, we have so much we're so ready to talk about. But how are, ready are we to talk about Jesus? So I want you to take this home with you today, at least. When you decide to follow God, you've got to plunge into his will. You just got to jump into his will. I had a very wise man tell me one time, there's sometimes it's difficult and you just have, to, the water is cold and you just have to enter it quickly and hold on. You just got to jump in. And that's what Paul is doing here. I, as I read this and, and, and see this context, it blows my mind how he just marches into danger, knowing what's going to happen. When everybody, all the good folks around him, all the well-meaning people around him telling him, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. He has to tell the Ephesus elders, why are you breaking my heart? Stop that. Quit telling me that. This is the will of God. The prophet, a prophet comes and says, the guy who owns this belt, he wraps his hands and feet up in Paul's belt, and says, the guy who owns this belt is going to get arrested and suffer. And, and so everybody starts going, Paul, don't do it. He says, stop. This is God's will for me. He told me that. I already knew that. This is what I have to do. And I'll tell you. God may never ask you to do something that drastic. And I would say that if he does, you better be dead sure that's what he wants. You shouldn't look for trouble. But if trouble comes as a result of following God, then you ought to kind of be ready to handle it. And so Paul plunges in the middle of God's will. When everything is wrong in logic... But God says, do it anyway. You got to do it. Because sometimes logically, God asks us to do some stuff that doesn't make logical sense. You, you say, are you saying God says crazy things? No, it's just his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so he says, come reason with me. Because we think like men think. He says, you make a mistake when you think God thinks like you. He says that in Psalms. You make a mistake when you think God acts like a man. Because he's God. Most time when people tell me they have a problem with God is because they think God is like them. God is not like us. He's trying to help us be like him, right? That's what the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit's about. We are being changed into the image of Christ. We are being changed from glory to glory. And we have to step back sometimes and go, wait a minute, is this my thinking or is this God's thinking? And that's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we have to renew our mind with the washing of the word, right? That's why James says, gaze intently into this word. Then you see what kind of man you really are. It is, it is in the scripture that we find out who we really are. So I just want you to catch, begin in verse 19 of, of chapter 21. Uh, I, I want you to see uh, uh, kind of uh, what happens here. Uh, in, in fact, back in 17, um, when we came to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in uh, with us to James and all the elders were present. Now, now hear that. Paul has taken up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. This is Paul getting back to Jerusalem to deliver the offering that he's been collecting from churches all over Asia Minor. And, and he said, hey, we got to help the mother church. Remember, 3,000 new believers came to Christ on Pentecost. It's been years since then, but they all just settled down in Jerusalem because there wasn't anywhere else where there was a church. So they were there, and now they're still there, and they've had all kinds of persecutions and things have happened. Uh, and, 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 and the church has been impoverished because there's so many people 
people with so little resources because it took some time for them to start making money. Paul says, hey, the mom church in Jerusalem needs our help. So he started taking up an offering to bring it back. And he brings it back. And Luke doesn't even mention it. Now, that's weird. And we don't know why Luke doesn't mention it. Except that he probably handed them the money and they went, hey, that's great, thanks, and went on. Like, you know, we don't know. We don't know why it's not said, but that's when it happened right here. But check it out. In verse 18, he went into James and all the Bible in the New Testament. I don't know what religious uh, 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 organization type uh, church you came from. Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever. And in different different groups of churches there's different things baptist we got pastors when i was a kid we called them preachers you know that's preacher Stewart, right uh, or preacher john or preacher whoever or a pastor we don't we don't use the term elder much we certainly don't use the word bishop unless we named our kid that or our dog or something you know uh, hey bishop come here you know uh it's a good word all three of those words are good words yet in the bible all three of those words are used for the same person the pastor of a church why does it say James and all the elders? James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Now, remember, this is still in the first hundred years of Christianity. They didn't have an openly church building for 230 more years, at least. It's more like 250 or 60 more years before they ever have a church building that's dedicated to being a church. Where did they meet? All those thousands of Christians in Jerusalem are meeting in people's houses all over the city. And in each house, there was a, say it like a Baptist, pastor, who is also an, who is also a, right. So James calls all the pastors together because Paul's here now. And Paul's going to let us know what's going on, how things are going. Maybe we'll learn some things. He'll help teach us. And so this was a time the elders are getting together to learn more. And James' job, and this James, by the way, same one that wrote the book of James, is the half-brother of Jesus. This is not the apostle James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he says, hey, all you elders, come on in. Paul's here. So they get together, and in verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, a lot of great things had happened, right? Paul spent two years in Asia, and everybody in Asia had heard, in Asia Minor, had heard the gospel. Not all of them got saved, but all of them heard. It took him two years working through the church in Ephesus. They started churches in several areas around where they were. These are the seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation that are addressed. Paul says, man, let me tell you, this has been happening, this happened, this happened. He's telling them all the big things that have happened. Because remember, they don't have telegraphs, they don't have phones. So Paul comes in and he lets them know what's been going on. And he is rejoicing. And Paul is focused on the lost and what has been happening and what God has been doing, seeing people saved. And then suddenly it reminds me of some church meetings I've been in, some denominational organizational meetings I've been in. Look, look at verse 20. And sometimes even myself. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who believed and they're all zealous for the law. They don't get excited about the loss that got saved, the first thing they start talking about is all of the believers in Jerusalem who are Jews who still want to keep the law. 
They're more concerned with the tradition of their religious organization than they are with the loss that Paul's been able to reach with the gospel in places where the gospel's never been preached. I, I've seen that. I've gone to, to Baptist large organizational meetings where they talk about so many good things that we do and those are good things. But they never talk about people coming to know Christ. And I often go, so? <laughs> Because that is the main thing we're supposed to be doing. I, I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing the other things. Neither would Paul. And Paul has fought this fight. I mean, in, in, in Acts uh, 15, they had a whole council meeting about, about whether a Gentile needs to act like a Jew to be a Christian. And the answer, but the problem was there were Jewish people who wanted all the Jewish people to keep acting like the Old Testament was still the thing to do. To keep up the sacrifices and the feasts and all that. Now, Paul kept it all the time, but he did it so when he talked to a Jewish person, they couldn't go, well, you don't do it. He was able to say, hey, I keep the law, but let me tell you, you've been set free from the law. You don't have to worry about that anymore. He did it so that they would at least talk to him because they knew if he didn't do it, they would consider him, oh, you're an apostate, you're away from our faith, so forget about it. But James lays out a plan and, and he says... And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. In other words, they said they've been lying about you, Paul. All these people in Jerusalem, they were Jewish uh, guys and they've, beca they've become Christians. But now this rumor spread and we can't seem to stop it that you're telling everybody don't worry about the law, which isn't what Paul was saying. Paul was saying Gentiles certainly don't have to worry about the law. He said to the Jews, your fathers couldn't keep the law. Why are you trying to keep the law? Read the book of Galatians. That's Paul's whole big deal about this. And by the way, the book of Galatians that Paul wrote about you don't have to keep the law anymore is the oldest book written in the New Testament. It was written before Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, any of the rest of them. It was the very first one ever written. And Paul is dealing with this very problem. They had an old council meeting. Paul even looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're wrong. Because Peter had gotten confused. Barnabas had gotten confused with it. And Paul was the one guy standing going, no. You don't have to do that. And now this rumor has come about that Paul is telling the, the, everybody to forsake the law. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. You can put the word traditions in there. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So therefore do what we tell you. We got some guys here and they're about to take a Nazarite vow. Now, a Nazarite vow, you could do that anytime you wanted. You did it. You began it by shaving your head, and then you didn't cut your hair until the end of the vow. And so Samson uh, was a Nazarite from birth. He never got a haircut his whole life until Delilah cut it, got it cut off, and then he went weak because he, that was the final straw for God. But a Nazarite didn't have long hair unless he was a Nazarite from birth. Samuel was a Nazarite from birth. Samson was a Nazarite from birth. Samuel, the prophet, was, was a Nazarite from birth. And so they said, hey, these guys are going to take this vow, so go take it with them. And then they're about to see that. No, no, you still, you know, like you're, you're cool with the law. Paul knew that was a dumb idea. He had fought against such dumb ideas. 
And I want you to note that the leaders of the church are trying to deal with a plain problem in a subtle way. A wise man told me one time that there was this fella in his church. And he said, that guy was so messed up, he didn't know which way north was. And he said, and I had to sit him down and say, this is north. And that's not east or south or west. And I'm not going to let you think it is. We live in a society today, they don't know which bathroom to use. And I am not going to buy into your delusion. God is plain. The word is plain. Creation is plain. It is what it is. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I won't help you. Doesn't mean I won't pray for you and do anything I can for you. But I'm not going to encourage your delusion. And Paul... I was shocked at how much debate is out there. Did Paul make a mistake? No, Paul knew, oh, this is how God's going to do it. I don't believe Paul made a mistake. I believe he knew. Uh, this is dumb, but obviously this is what God's going to do. And he buys into it and he goes and takes the vow with him. And so Paul walks in and he does the vow. And so he submitted to God's will regardless of the consequences. It, it, it goes on down. It, it, t- it talks about that. But look at verse 26 of ch- chapter 21. So Paul took the men and the next day they purified him. Uh, he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And that was seven days, I believe. Uh, as, well, the next verse tells you. It's seven days. So Paul says, okay, I'll do it. He voluntarily does what he knows he didn't have to do, which he knows is not going to work. I just personally believe the Bible doesn't make it clear. That's why it's a debate. Did Paul mess up? Did Paul compromise? Did he give in? I think Paul said, well, I came here to get arrested. This doesn't make good sense to me. This isn't how I do things, but I'm going to do it because this is what the leaders tell me to do. And I believe God's speaking through him and he goes through with it. But look what happens. And this is, we, there's three big movements beginning in verse 27 on. And I want to ask you in this thing, when is the last time you gave a witness for Christ? I mean, everything's going good. Paul's made his trip down to Jerusalem. He's got the money, turns the money over. Hey, a bunch of people getting saved. They said, hey, there's this rumor about you. Let's, let's try to stop it by you going and taking this vow. Paul says, okay. And I won't use what is common language for this, but let me just say the grits are about to hit the fan. It's going to get bad quick. In verse 27, the seven days are over. The Jews from Asia show up. Remember, Paul had spent all that time up in Asia and all these people gotten saved and everybody in Asia had heard the gospel. Those, pe- those Jewish people up there, the, the Jewish leaders, when it says that, it means the leaders... They didn't like Paul one little bit for many reasons. One, he's preaching that the Messiah has come and his name was Jesus and that they had put him to death. And, and he's telling people they don't have to become Jewish and uh, to, be, to be a Christian. And, and these guys don't like him. And they see him in the temple and they start stirring up the crowd. And by the way, the crowd is always demonic. There's always a demon in a crowd. And they laid hands on him in verse 28, crying out, Men of Israel, help. This is the man 
who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, that was a lie. That was a lie. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul brought him into the temple. We just went through a bunch of stuff in our country where people supposed what somebody else was thinking, and they tried to fire him for it. But the evidence was he hadn't done anything, which thankfully that came out. But, and all the city was stirred up, the people ran together. You ever wondered why all of a sudden just everybody at once goes crazy? I wonder if there are spiritual realities that we don't see at work. Oh yeah, maybe so. And here's little old Paul going, here it comes, Lord. <laughs> I'm ready. Because they grab him and they start beating him. In fact, in the story here, and I won't read all the verses, they, they, everybody goes into confusion. And, and the, the guys that are in charge, the Roman soldiers, they come running in. They see this confusion. And when the people, it says down in verse uh, 32... He at once took soldiers to turns, ran down to them. And when they saw the tri uh, tribune and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So he's already been being beaten for a, for a while there. And they quit when they see the police coming. And then the tribune comes up and arrested him. Wait a minute. He's the dude getting beat up. <laughs> Why did they arrest him? Later they go, hmm, we can't figure this out. So they rack him up. They're going to whip him. We'll see that in a minute. Why do you arrest the guy who's getting beat up? Well, they assumed that the crowd was right because those are the Jewish leaders. But the crowd wasn't right. And so they arrest Paul and they, and they, and they take him away. And they bind him with two chains. And they say, who are you? What have you done? Some in the crowd shouted one thing and others another because, you know, the crowd's always lying and demons are always confusing. And, they could, and, and he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. And he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. And when he got to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. The soldiers said, man, we can't get him out of here. We, he's been beaten all. They picked him up. They had to carry him out. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. They want him dead. I mean, dead, dead, not just arrested. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, down in verse 37, he says to the tri tribune, may I say, tribune, may I say something to you? And he says it in Greek. I don't know why he said it in Greek. Because he could have said it in Latin that the guy, maybe the guy was a Greek guy, I don't know. But he was working for Rome now. And so Paul, and he says, you know Greek? Are you that guy that went off in the wilderness with all these people? And Paul goes, no, 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 that's not me. He says, I I'm a Jew from Tarsus. In Cilicia, a city of no obscure, a citizen of no obscure city, I beg you, this down in verse 39, permit me to speak to the people. And he gave him permission. And Paul stands up on the steps and motions with his hands. And finally, the crowd hushes and he addresses them in Hebrew. And they went, whoa, this dude speaks Hebrew. They don't even know why they're beating him up. They don't even know why they're mad. Look at verse one. He, he addressed them in Hebrew saying, brothers and sisters, hear the defense I make before you. And when they heard he was addressing them in a Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And then he gives his testimony. What happens is Paul talks about where he came from and who he was. That he was, this, he was the student of Gamaliel. I don't know if he mentions that, but he's letting them know. Hey, listen, I was the, I was the big deal. 
And then he talks about it. He gives his testimony of his conversion. Now, if I had just gone into a temple to pay my dues and finish my vow, and somebody pointed at me and yelled a lie about me, and the next thing I know, I'm caught by a mob, and they're beating the tar out of me, and the police show up, and they pull me away, and they're carrying me away, I'd be going, hurry up. <laughs> I would not be going, hold on, let me talk to them. I just want to get away, right? Not Paul. Paul said, let me talk to him. I goes, okay, if you want to. And they sat him down. I don't know if he had to hold on to something. I mean, I don't know what it means that they were beating him and he's, God just helped him, I guess. And Paul starts talking to them in Hebrew and they start listening and he tells them his testimony. And, and I won't go back through it. I encourage you to go back and read these chapters. But Paul has given this speech and I want you to look down all the way uh, in chapter 22, because it goes through verse 21 of chapter 22. And he's talking about the stoning of Stephen in verse 20. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. He's identifying and said, listen, guys, I was like you. I, I thought you ought to kill people like me. I helped in that. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And look at the next verse. Up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices when he said the gospel went to the Gentiles. It, it, it amazes me. Did you know the devil will let you be kind of religious as long as you don't affect other people's life for the gospel? They're going, okay, he had this, you know, crazy man, had a vision, whatever. But when he says, and God sent me to talk to the Gentiles, they had such a hatred for people that weren't Jewish. It's okay you're talking about Jesus, but don't be, don't be telling people that aren't like us. I don't know if you've lived long enough or lived in a place where you saw that in a church, but I have. I've seen people in a Baptist church cry crocodile tears over the lost heathen in Africa. And wouldn't let a black kid come to church. I, I'm going to make a bold statement, but don't turn off and quit listening, okay? All of you are prejudiced. It may not be about the same thing I am prejudiced about. But this is part of our fallen nature. We're prejudiced against some person, group, place, thing because it's in our nature our fallen nature. And when Christ saves us, all that's got to get gone. First John says that the love of Christ is shed abroad in our heart. And how can you, James says, how can you bless God who made men in the same breath, in the same tongue, curse men made in his image? John says, if you say you're in the light and hate your brother, you're in darkness till now. And we have to take that seriously. And this group of religious people are angry because he said the word Gentiles. He said goyim, the nations in Hebrew. And they go nuts. Again, <laughs> not just once. Now they go crazy. As he gives his testimony, they're good. But when he says that, they go crazy. Away with such a fellow for the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. What? 
Again, we see this kind of violence happening in this nation today over political ideology. And, and I do believe there's right more on one side than the other, obviously. But friend, the only thing that matters is Christ and the souls of men. That's what our job is. I, I think we ought to be wise in our politics and our voting. But at the same time, our job is to take the gospel to everyone, even those who want to kill you, even those who want to beat you up, even to those who don't particularly like you. And so this, they start up the riot again and they're shouting and throwing, <laughs> throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air. Can you imagine just being so mad you don't know what to do and you start throwing your clothes around and throwing dirt in the air? So the tribune ordered them to be brought into the barracks saying they ought to be examined by flogging to find out why they're so mad at him. Again, like, dude, they're yelling at me. Why are you going to beat me for this? I didn't do anything. They're mad because I said the word Gentiles. Oh, well, we're going to beat you and beat it out of you. Now, here's one of those times where Paul goes, this ain't happening. And so they get him racked up and Paul looks over his shoulder and goes, is it okay for you to beat a Roman soldier? I mean, a Roman citizen uncondemned? You're a citizen? Yeah. Hold on. He runs against the boss, brings him back. It's like, this guy says he's a Roman, man. Don't beat him. We got, we got to figure this out. And the guy runs up and says, you're a Roman uh, citizen? And he goes, yes. He said, I bought mine for a large sum. Paul said, I'm freeborn. I was born a Roman citizen. If he had touched Paul, that guy would have been killed. So Paul is not stupid. I ain't going to take a beat I ain't got to take. And that's a good lesson for you. I mean, if you can't help it, you can just man up and have to take it. But Paul's like, you know what? I got enough I'm going to be going through. I ain't going to take an extra one. Uh, dude, <laughs> you're about to hurt me and I don't deserve it. They, they want to interrogate him by beating him. And so they, they cut him loose. So verse 29, they withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was afraid when he realized he was a citizen. And so they bring Paul. They said, okay, well, let's just bring him before his own people and see what they say. And so the next day, they wanted to know the situation. Let's stand him up in front of all these Jewish leaders and see what happens. And that was a better plan, I guess. So Paul goes down. He looks at the council, the, all these Jewish people, verse 23. And, and I mean, chapter 23, verse 1. And he says, brothers, I've lived before my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. He's going, I got a clear conscience. And, you, and what happens? The high priest goes, pop him one. The guy next to him pops him, pow. And Paul says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed sepulcher. I really think Paul sinned there, just honestly. I mean, you hit me for no reason. I'm going to get a little angry too. And Paul just does that because then I think Paul compounded the sin of anger with a lie. You talk to the high priest that way. Oh, I didn't know he was a high priest. Paul used to be on the council. He knew exactly who that was. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat our mistakes, okay, and our sins. Then Paul looks around and goes, wait a minute, we got, oh, those are fair. I know that guy. He's a Sadducee. You see, remember the Sadducees? You remember why they're sad? You see, they don't believe in the spirit world at all. They don't believe there's a heaven. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in anything. And they don't believe in a resurrection of the dead. They think you live, then you die. They're like, they're like religious atheists. I pity atheists. Well, I mean, when they die, they're all dressed up, no place to go. Well, actually, there is a place, but uh, anyway. And so Paul checks that out and he goes, Brothers, it's for the resurrection of the dead that I'm being 
called into question today. Whoa! Now they're mad at each other. So all of a sudden, the Sadducees and Pharisees are fighting. He's like, good, let them fight, fight it out amongst themselves. And he gets them all riled up. He lets them kind of fight it out. And, uh, and, and, and so as they're arguing, they're divided. It says down in verse 8, the Sadducees say there's no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all, and this clamor arose, and dissension became violent. And they were afraid that Paul's going to be torn to pieces by them. The command soldiers, go get him again. And so they pull him out. These Roman soldiers are confused. They don't know what to do. But I want you to check out verse 11. I think this is the pivot here. Look at it. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. As you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must in Rome. When Paul goes to the temple and they beat him up, he talks about Jesus. They rack him up to, to hurt him. He gets out of the beating and they stand him in front of the council. I've lived in a good conscience and it's for the resurrection of the dead, starting with Jesus. He testifies about Jesus. And every time he says something about Jesus, a riot breaks out. And God comes by him and says, hey, Paul, good job, buddy. It ain't going to get any, I don't have any, I used to have a man older than me and I would say some ache or pain, he'd go, I don't have any good news for you. <laughs> in other words, the older you get, the more of them you get. I think God looks at Paul and goes, I, I don't have any good news for you, dude. Because you're going to go to Rome and keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it's real simple. God saved Paul to tell everybody about Jesus. I mean, he's pretty effective at doing it. God used him to write 13 books in the New Testament, of which there's only 27. He wrote almost half of the New Testament. He, he's the reason we, we understand theology like we do. And he wasn't one of the original 12. I believe he's an apostle, but he wasn't one of the originals. But God had this really smart guy over here that he is going to dramatically save him and use him to help codify and outline the God. Now, Paul's learning it from the apostles. He's getting, he learned from them. He listened to them. He, and, and it helped him understand. But he brought such a knowledge of the Old Testament because the disciples, they weren't that educated. They, they knew, like, some, but they weren't. Paul is the most educated Jew alive. And they said, let me, let, we'll tell you, you know, and then Jesus taught Paul in the desert. And God uses Paul greatly, but he says, but it, it's going to hurt. God lets Paul know this is going to be painful. And he's going to, we'll talk about it next week, but he's going to spend several years going from Roman to Roman to Roman ruler talking about Jesus. And they want to get a bribe from Paul to set him free, but he's off. He's just going to keep talking about Jesus. And so the question becomes for us, in what circumstances do you find yourself where you don't talk about Jesus? I don't think you could have put Paul anywhere that he wouldn't have talked about Jesus. I mean, as far as I know, he was in every worst situation available to a man back in his day. And every time he's talking about Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. It's what he did for me. This is what he can do for you. This is who I was. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what he can do for you. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. He can do it for you. He does it over and over and over and over and over. We get all fancy. We got nice buildings, comfortable seating. We complain if it's too hot or too cold. You know, we complain sometimes what instrument we use to worship God with or what it sounds like. 
And all that is irrelevant to glorifying and worshiping the God who made us. And that's the intention of everything we do. So I would just encourage you to start thinking in these terms. The first thing I'll give you for this week is seek to bring the lost to Christ rather than to protect your tradition. We, we like to think we don't have traditions, but all you got to do is bust one of them. And then you will find out. I was in a church one time and we decided to take up the offering at the end of the service. You would have thought we said, rip Romans out of your Bible. I mean, it was crazy. People went ballistic. It was nuts. It's like, what's your problem? It was weird. Why would you get mad about that? We're just going to do it at the end instead of in the middle. It was nuts. When, when I was growing up, I could tell you the order of service, and, and we used big words like invocation and prelude. I thought that was a Honda, but... <laughs> I mean, we used words I didn't understand for years. And there was three hymns and a Lord's Prayer and a sing, you know, amen, amen. You know, it was... We just did it every week. And that's fine. There was nothing wrong with that. You can worship God with that. But boy, the first time somebody tried to change that, bah! Are you more concerned about how we do stuff rather than what we do? When you're more concerned about, and, and I'm not saying there's not a good way to do it or a best way to do it, and I want to do it the best way and the goodest way, okay? But when, when you're more concerned about how you're doing it than what you are doing, you're in a dangerous place. And these Jewish believers were in a dangerous place of wanting to hold on to their tradition instead of letting go and preaching Jesus. They wanted to put more on it because we're always trying to save ourselves and you can't. You got to let Jesus do it. So this week, just care more about lost people than anything else. And then God told Paul, this is going to cost you a lot, son. And Paul said, I'll pay it. I'll do it. Just like Jesus did. Paul said, I'll do it. So what is God asking you to do that's going to cost you something? And what's too much? I, I'll confess, we just finished 21 days of prayer uh, last Saturday, Sunday. And we got together with some pastors and they said, we want to have these prayer meetings on Friday night. Now, I know Friday night's amateur night, but when you work, young people don't understand, but when you work... Friday night's your first free night to go do anything because you don't have to get up in the next morning and go to work. So for most married couples, Friday night's pretty much date night. And for preachers, that really is because Saturday night, I'm already thinking about Sunday morning about five in the afternoon. I'm not good for much else because I'm already coming here in my head. And they said, we want to have three consecutive Friday night prayer meetings. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I went, man. You ask me to give up three Friday nights in a row? What sin? What is that? And by the way, they were a blessing. Every one of them was a blessing to me. But yet, we think we suffer so greatly because we got to give up three Friday nights. What is God asking you to do that's going to cost you something? I, I repented of that. That's why I dare tell you that. And then lastly, I would just ask you, are you in a time of trouble?
this would be a good time to talk about Jesus. This is really a good time to talk about Jesus. I've noticed, you know, I'll use a kind of an illustration first. There are some people that when stress comes on them, they handle it by overeating. Like, they call it stress eating, right? And I only bring that up because I'm the opposite. If I'm in stress, I can't eat. My stomach starts churning, I can't eat. I'm not hungry, it doesn't bother me. I just, my adrenaline starts flowing and I don't know what else to do. And, 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 and I just get stressed out. And I say that to say, if you're, if you're in trouble and you talk about Jesus, guess who shows up every time you talk about Jesus? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Because didn't he say that in Matthew 28, 18, 19 and 20? When you go into all the world and preach the gospel and lo, I am with you always. So when I am doing what he commanded in Matthew 28, I'm guaranteed he's right there. Now, I'm guaranteed that anyway. <laughs> because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But boy, all of a sudden I'm reminded, wait a minute, God's with me. And whatever trouble you in, say, yeah, man, this is bad and it's ugly. But let me just talk about Jesus for a minute to you. It's a good time to do it. You say, what does that got to do with anything? You don't understand what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But I just, I know who Jesus is. And it's a good time to witness. So I just want to encourage you. I don't know if you're in trouble at work or at home. Can you imagine your boss yelling at you and you going, you know what? That, that, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. But before you go, can I tell you what Jesus did for me? <laughs> What's that going to do to them? It's going to blow their mind, if nothing else. They may get mad. They may start a riot on their own. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm just saying. Having trouble at home? Start talking about Jesus. What did Jesus tell you today in your quiet time? What did Jesus speak to you this week as you went to church or as you walked with him or as you listened to some song or you read some scripture or you saw something? I mean, Janice and I love living here. And we say it every time we're together riding in the car. Said it yesterday. We're riding around. She says, look at that. Can you believe God lets us live here? And then my next thought is always, and this is the messed up fallen version. I can't wait to see the one that's perfect. It's going to be awesome. So until then, let's talk about him.